Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a self-help podcast for people with herpes. Flat out. <laughs> like, I've been trying to dance around what this is. I've been trying to make it fit into places that, you know, it should be in, but maybe doesn't necessarily belong to. And I've been doing that at the expense of the quality of... Um, and the capacity at which I'm able to help and support people. So I've hit a breakthrough point where I'm very proud of the work that I'm doing now. And I think that the people who are supported by it, who find it useful, can be proud of it as well, even if it's in your own little way of showing support, whether that be a donation, whether that be being a guest on the podcast, or sharing resources, or sharing podcast episodes. Um, I'm appreciative of all the ways that we've been doing that. But I want to make that clear, like this is for people who are living with herpes. The nonprofit itself provides and services, um, provides and services, wow, uh, supports people in finding mental health services. This includes uh, some yoga stuff. Uh, There's the uh, mentoring that I mentioned in the last podcast episode and workshops and teaching you how to disclose These are all functions of the nonprofit organization. And here the podcast is a free resource that touches on everything under the sun in relation to herpes stigma. Today, for the first time in a while, we have a podcast guest. (laughs) So I'm here with Kevin, who uh, has been real flexible with me in regards to scheduling this podcast interview. So thank you so much for being able to do so between weather and construction and you're in New York and there's going to always be sound there. So bear with us throughout the course of this podcast episode um, as Kevin tells his story and shares his experience. Um, so I want to start out with any introduction you want about yourself, name, age, sex, uh, whatever you feel comfortable with sharing. And then I'd like for you to just share what encouraged you to reach out to me. All right, sure. So my name is Kevin. I'm 48 years of age. I live in New York City. Been here about 21 years. Um, I've been diagnosed with herpes since 2014, and have been dealing or, or you know, learning to cope with it and manage it um, ever since then. Um, it's been a pretty arduous road for me as I've encountered some difficulties as a result of having the HSV. Um, it is for the genital herpes. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it there. Like I've spent the greater half of that time frame between then and now learning to manage it. Um, uh, the, and I say that because uh, traditional therapy wasn't necessarily working for me at the beginning. So I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, I got diagnosed in 2014, um, probably like anybody else does. It had, you know, had sex at one point um, with multiple partners, and uh, you know, in at a certain time frame, I developed uh, I developed some blisters and some pain. Went to the doctors and uh, was diagnosed with that. Interestingly enough, um, I truly didn't know who it was that I um, had contracted it from. Wasn't for a lack of using a condom. Um, one of the times the condom did break, so I thought, well, maybe that's the case. Maybe it was that individual. Um, but as they were legitimately one that stands, um, what could you do? I, I didn't feel like I could really reach out at that point. Um, having said that, um, 
story of how I contracted it. Um, there was a lot of shame that resulted uh, thereafter um, as a result of just reading about it and, uh, and, and realizing that there was no actual um, cure for this, only, uh, only symptomatic treatment. I sought out uh, support groups here in New York at the time. Honestly, there was the only thing that I found was a Google, a Google uh, meetup group uh, that claimed to be supportive for uh, mostly men that um, had herpes, contracted herpes, and so I, I attended. And all it was um, was just a hookup. It was it was, a, it was a place to hook up. It was a place for oh you got herpes, I got herpes too. Let's just do this. Um, and I got to admit that for the first year. After having been diagnosed, I was the least bit interested in, in having engaging in any kind of sex. I mean, I wasn't engaging in masturbation. I wasn't engaging in sex. It was just, it was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, I there was so much shame. There was guilt. It was I was just really riddled with um, self-deprecating thoughts. Right now, um, I've encountered people where I've met people early on that really didn't think twice about it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, it's cool. I, I got herpes, you know, uh, two years ago. And, um, there was one gentleman who was like, yeah, I contracted you know, HIV herpes at the same time, and I had gonorrhea twice this month, and I thought, oh, my God, like, I don't even, like, this is crazy, but this is not to judge them. It was some some of the people that I encountered were just very, I think for lack of better wording, blasé, or just as a matter of fact, it was just one about their business, where I, as a overthinker <laughs> just kind of stayed in my mind about it and um, to be honest uh, I just felt like I was never given a chance um, that's the way that I approached it then and I still see it as such now it's just not as hardcore um, I felt like man you know if you have this you should at least present somebody the opportunity to choose whether or not, whether or not they want to take this um, this uh that option to, to just go and, and follow through with the, with the meetup. Um, I'll tell you here too. Um, you don't have to dance around politically correct language and all of that because I think the word you were looking for was risk, and we just don't have better language for yeah, things yeah. like that. So yeah, let this be where you freely speak and right. say you know speak how you feel. Like yeah, it's a podcast, but I mean I curse on I here, mean, I mess up, I say uh, things wrong. I mean, a lot of the anger behind it has definitely subsided. Like I've been in therapy for many years now, not just as a result of that, but, you know, that definitely played a, a major role uh, um, as to why, you know, to, to look for something to discuss in therapy. Um, should I need to look for something? I really didn't need to. It's all there. But, uh, you know, I'm rather long-winded, so I kind of wanted to keep this kind of tight and simple. So I contracted it in 2014, or at least I was diagnosed in 2014. I uh, initially did not take uh, prophylactics. They didn't. They didn't offer the medication. Yeah, believe it or not, it wasn't offered um, that I can recall. Um, and my outbreaks were pretty intense. Now, I will say that at the time I was a heavy drinker, um, so I did not realize how uh, diet um, and vices could contribute to the outbreak or two outbreaks, yeah. So I was bartending at the time, heavily drinking. I was a smoker at the time as well. 
So, you know, I, I feel that I had multiple outbreaks after outbreak, after outbreak, after outbreak, um, as a result of eating poorly, eating the wrong foods, eating foods that aggravated, you know, the, the amino acids that are involved. Um, that's a whole other story, but, um, wrong diet, poor, poor skills at the time. So that took a while. Um, I eventually became involved in like Reiki and I started weaning off of the alcohol and hoped that I could heal myself. But in reality, hope, wish that I prayed that I could cure myself with this alternative modality. Um, and that just kickstarted a whole a whole other part of, of my journey and, and self-healing, not just the herpes. So I'll say all that to say, I've said all that to say, the journey's been a long one. I've, I've just very recently learned to to work with it. Uh, I don't suffer the multiple outbreaks that I used to. Uh, I probably have one or two at worst um, a month, at, at, at the worst case scenario. I think the bulk of the bad ones definitely happened right after I received my... Uh, booster shot and my vaccinations for uh, for the COVID. It was, I started uh, the day that I got the first vaccination. I started, you know, I felt ill and developed an outbreak. And then that outbreak just never fully healed, went into 30 days getting the second um, shot. That outbreak never fully healed. It was like one lesion that was about the size of a quarter that just would not fully heal. Even though I was taking the Valtrex, and then my doctor at that time was like, let me put you on a thousand milligrams of Valtrex a day. This is really safe, but um, it's safe for some people, but not everybody can eat the same thing, you know? Like, not everybody can cannot be affected by things. So the Valtrex was too strong for me, um, and I was starting to experience uh, side effects. The doctor didn't really feel it was the case, but when I talked to the pharmacist, the pharmacist was like, absolutely, those are side effects of that. So um, I started breaking my pill into two. So instead of taking 1,000 in one shot, I was just taking 500 in the morning and 500 at night, which helped. It was just too intense for my body, pretty sensitive to that stuff. So I got through the second boot, uh, the second vaccination. They would heal, but then they would pop back up just as fast as they healed. So I'd be like, oh, great. And then, oh, God, like, what the fuck? Um and then that led to the booster. The booster killed me. Like the booster, like I felt worse than I did with the first two vaccinations. The blisters were just, I, at that point. So as an aside, my my initial outbreaks were all at the point of entry. So they were all at the penis. Um, and at some point in time in 2014 and 2015, between that time frame, um, it shifted. And it went from the front and it started um, manifesting uh, or presenting itself uh, at the small of my back, so just above the crease of, of, the, of the buttocks, which makes sense because it's all the sacral ganglia, which is where the herpes resides and that, all those nerve endings. So it can actually present itself in anywhere in that area, underneath the buttocks, like on the thighs and on the testicles, whatever. So it, it doesn't have to be mainly at the point of entry. So that's where the bulk of mine have been, which is much better than having it on your bell end <laughs> because with the heat and the swelling and all of that stuff, you know, uh, and as men, you know, we, we, there's always friction going on up front. So yeah. not the best of uh, sensations. So it, it's a little bit easier for me to manage on the small of my back. Okay. Um, 
All right, let's let's get into so yeah, like we said a lot. So I was gonna say yeah, the the herpes stuff, the outbreaks, the treatment, like that's that is what it is. Let's yeah, talk yeah. about your experience um, living with it because I think one of the things yeah. you said to me was that you weren't sexual for a really long time, yeah. and then coming back into being sexual again, um, like I guess what 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 was that experience like for you? What was going on during that time period where you um, weren't sexual? What made you decide to be sexual again? Can you just, let's start with when you reached out to me. So you reached out to me and we had that conversation. Let's start there. Yeah, so I I came across your your podcast at some point somehow. And um, I thought, oh, this is really almost empowering is what I thought at, the, at that point. And I thought this is really supportive and like educational. And I thought, man, this is, this is more than I have found here in New York. Um, and I, I, at that point in time was feeling like I'd lost all hope. And, and I'm going to say that um, the reason behind that was uh, in 2019, my herpes got out of control and uh, found its way into my spinal fluid. And I ended up developing viral meningitis from it. Shortly thereafter, three weeks of that nonsense, um, I had a what they call a mini stroke. So I didn't present anything wrong physically; it was all neurological. I still have to deal with some of the, the effects. So I was told by the virologist and immunologist that I was in the small percentile of people who actually develop that. That usually these are case studies that people learn about while they're in school. So. Um, I became, I was very angry at that point and, uh, with, with herpes and the Kwaini, the whole nine yards of what the fuck did I do? And I was seeking, I, I, I was seeking help. I was seeking support. I was looking in multiple directions and I never truly found a support group. Not, not truly. I just never found a support group, at least here in New York, um, about it. And, you know, during the quarantine time, you encountered podcasts or what have you and some, somewhere between then and now, I came across your, one of my first episodes that I listened by you um, and the herpes, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. And I listened off and on, and um, eventually I reached out. Now, having said all that, I um, was not sexually active, hadn't been sexually active for almost 11 years. In the 11 years, I had sex three times, twice with a partner who had herpes as well. So there was definitely a level of comfort there. Um, and then once more in a much more uh, regrettable <laughs> scenario, just because of the person I chose to go through with it. But um, that was it. Was this a celebrity there, I, or was this like a toxic ex or something? Um, no, it ended up being a toxic friend, somebody that I'd had a friendship with for over 25 years that I, I ran into here in New York and, at the time, I was still drinking, and I had, had a couple of drinks and just made a bad choice. Like, I would have never made a choice to have slept with him um, had I been fully, you know, fully sober. If y'all were um, friends, so what, what What made this decision a bad decision? He was married. Ah, okay. See, this is the kind of shit we want. This is what I want to hear. I want to know the real stuff. Like, <laughs> so let's, let's speak to that. Um, so... You talked about going on this like healing journey. You started to find support. It seems like you were, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but 
I want to speak to how I'm hearing what you're saying is you, did you swear off sex and then out of the blue, an opportunity presented itself and it was like, yes, give it to me. Like you were trying to tame a beast that was fucking starving. And when sex presented itself, you couldn't control yourself. Yes. And and, and it was easier because it was something that I knew and we had a history as far as just being intimate, but not in any kind of a sexual way. We just, we, we spoke about things that, you know, normally you don't share with other people, you with that individual. And so it, it, it definitely facilitated that level of comfort. It was just that in the middle of it, I was like, oh, fuck. So let's, okay, <laughs> let's talk about this. With what you just shared about that level of comfort and intimacy, this is with a man, right? This is a man who's married. I'm going to assume a heterosexual marriage because this wasn't okay or what? No, no, it was a homosexual marriage. Okay, all right. So we have a relationship that occurs that the foundation was more on the intimacy, the comfort, knowing each other uh, more than physical attraction. Was it more than physical attraction or what? I think there was a heavy component of emotional um, resonance. Mm Mm-hmm. For many years um yeah there was just that that component like i'm i can very easily be attracted to somebody physically but when i click with someone emotionally and there's already somewhat of an interest or you know curiosity it only serves to you know uh to instigate the situation a little more okay so. and so the reason i i brought that up is because uh there's a lot happening in my personal life with really exploring and identifying what connection is, what emotional connection is, what it means to be men, how men connect with people, how men connect with men. And so I'm wondering here specifically, like the connection, uh, it's a curiosity around what connection became for you because you're in an emotionally vulnerable space, right? And you felt safe with people that you may have had a little bit of the emotional safety with. And then there perhaps being a sexual attraction. So all of that to say, in my experience, men typically know to express themselves. Like it's only okay to really express ourselves either through violence and aggression or sex. And sometimes, you know, the both come together. So I guess my question is, does that statement resonate with you? In regards to this particular scenario? Yeah. In this, in relation to this, did the sex feel like a moment of expression to that person that you felt that you could have that emotional expression to? I never really thought about it. Um... I would venture to say that there is definitely some validity to to what you're saying and that it's applicable to a degree. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So having had herpes. Say that. So having had your experience with herpes, have you noticed a difference in how you connected with men pre-diagnosis versus post-diagnosis? and no Ooh, let's hear because it. I, yeah yes and no because pre-diagnosis i was out and about 
just out and about. I was, I was bartending. I was out and about, very social, very like, you know, and flirtatious and X, Y, Z, you know, all of these things that I think are stereotypical of, of, of what people think of a bartender, you know, just social and, and, and what have you. Um, and then after I became diagnosed, there was so much self-loathing and deprecation that taking place that I, I honestly, up until about three months ago with my new therapist, had just, I began this, this journey of seclusion. I started to pull away and I started to hate my, my circumstances of being, and by that I mean being a bartender, being social, feeling somewhat attracted to somebody, you know, looking at somebody and be like, oh, they're hitting on me. This is cool. And then be like, yeah, I'd already experienced because in between that and having been recently diagnosed, I still, there was a part of me that wanted to be just like everybody else. Right. And so what I chose to do was not to be sexually active, but maybe we can hook up. Maybe we can just masturbate together. And uh, can we, can we call that a choice though? Was that your choice or was that something that you felt was like an adaptation to your circumstances? I felt that that was, there was two choices that I could take. Mm-hmm. I felt that either I could completely cut myself off from being sexually active in any way, shape, or form, or I could engage in less risky behavior that would not necessarily, that, well, that would, one, save me from any kind of ridicule, and two, not compromise the other individual's health. Okay. That's truly how, that's that, and that's how I've been really functioning for all of this time. Um, but, you know, I experienced a lot of, I, I experienced a lot of negatives in between, you know, when I tried going on dates and I, or I, hookups or whatever this, whatever it was I was reaching out for, right? Because it wasn't just one or the other. It's just, I was trying to go out there and learn how to say, oh my God, listen, you might be sexual. I, I heard this. I was, I think the worst one was, uh, not, not. I think the worst scenario for me was a gentleman who um, we had agreed that we were just going to jerk off together. And when I got to this place, there was that is the. Everywhere. I feel like that is the gay equivalent of let me put the head in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is. <laughs> so I get there, and I'm like, "What's taking place here?" And he's talking, and he's talking. And I'm like, "Listen, let me ask you right quick. Like, what's going on with all this stuff over here?" Maybe I was like, man, I thought we called this already. Like we talked, we had been talking for about two months and I was like, I told you straight up, like we're just jerking off and uh, that's how it's going to be. And he was like, I don't get it. And he got really vulgar and he got really sexual, but I really want you to do this to me. And I was like, listen, this is, this is the reason why like I wasn't going to disclose it because all we were going to do is jerk off and it was going to be you sitting there me sitting here. And that was going to be it. And I told him, I said, I disclosed that I had herpes. And his immediate reaction was, you're fucking gross. Get away from me. And why wouldn't you tell me this before? Um, I would much rather have bareback sex with somebody who's got full-on AIDS because at least I can take the medication. Um, it was just total, like, total annihilation of my being. But at that point in time, I, by that point in time, I kind of built up a pretty, Show and I was like, this is all about me. Like, this is all your projection.
intersection. And I told him that. I was like, listen, man, you seem like a fairly intelligent individual who's going through some emotional bullshit right now. And I was like, I'm not going to identify your projection. So have yourself a good one. And I was walking out the door and I'll never forget. He was like, wait, 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 wait. And I turned to look and I'm like, what, what the fuck do you want? Like, what is there else to say? As opposed to walking out, because the caregiver in me turned and he was just like, how do you know we have purpose? And the caregiver took over and I was like, let me sit down with you have this conversation i'll avoid all that nonsense and just tell you that the guy had just gotten back fire island it was freaking out because he had engaged and had a partner as well the partner did i mean bro really really what first off what composure you had kudos to you because, like, even when I was thinking that, I was, or when I'm listening to this, like, you saw my face. I was just like, damn, what kind of a projection is this? And that person spewed up everything that they were feeling about themselves, having just left from an activity that would put them at the same level of risk. And, like, for them to have said, I'd rather have already had sex with somebody with full-blown AIDS, even the fucking language is infuriating. But... What that person might not have told you. And that's another thing that I really want to stress here is that the proactivity of a person who has the integrity of who's living with uh, herpes or who has something that impacts them, that it requires vulnerability to communicate and express to another person like that, that shit is sexy. So what you did was a very attractive thing. And then your lack of feeding into that uh throwing fuel to the fire because you could have talked shit back but you're like no you know what? let me get up out of here and then they were able to calm themselves down but wait uh so i did these things and uh can you tell me if can, is this herpes can you look at this real quick <laughs> so yeah shout out to you for like upholding that level of integrity and a lot of people could also feel pressured in that situation to like, oh, well, this person's like really wanting to have sex. I'm going to just do the thing that they want to do. So shout out to you for having like there's fight, flight, freeze, fawn response. Fight or flight, obviously resistance, run away, uh, freeze, just uh, uh, be in the moment. Fawn is compliance. And what I'm hearing is that you challenge, you challenge whatever your visceral reaction might have been. And then you took action from there. Now, instead of leaving, he called you back. How did the rest of this go? I gave him uh, information and details about what my particular scenario looks like. Uh, and told him that if he had anything to be concerned with, that one, he should consider discussing it with the partner. And two, talking to, to either his primary care physician or, <laughs> or the health department. And I deuced out. Cool. I'm not your god, brother. I'm not your god. That's that's on you. I was so. yeah, because I was I was wondering if like the the flip script or anybody if if anything changed at all. So thank you, thank you for sharing that. Uh, yeah. So this was your worst herpes disclosure experience. Let's talk about the most recent one that you had, where the one that you shared with me. Um. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll keep some things out of out of. Uh, but I, I met a gentleman who, um, I don't know, it had been the first time that I'd actually uh, been uh, curious about and 
and I say that because I, like I said, mentioned earlier, I'm going to therapy very recently, uh, started on antidepressants, and um, my doctor was like, you know, you're probably going to lose any kind of stamina if you even have it, or libido, yeah. weight. It's the complete opposite for me right now. <laughs> this antidepressant has done nothing about completely just like fired up your worst. But what, what's the name anyhow, of it? Because people might ask. Oh, it's, yeah, it's Prozac. For me, it's Prozac. Okay. Um, but long story short with him, uh, we both expressed an interest in one another. Um, and things were starting to get a little heated. And I was like, yo, listen, straight up, like, this is what you got to play with. This is what you got to, you know, I don't know if this is something you want to take a risk with, but this is my reality. And I need you to understand that this is the first time in a long time that I've disclosed this information or allowed myself to get close to anyone at this level. And I'm more concerned that you have a choice to make. That you think about it, like even if you say yes right now, I want you to think about this for two or three days because there's no going back. You're not aborting this, and you know I'm sorry for anybody who takes that word in whatever way, but we're not aborting this. Like this is not mission abort. This is you got it, son. Um, should you get it? And that's the thing with that, right? And so um, I was like, all right, that's cool. We engaged a little bit. I very honest with him just ask him to be honest with me please let me know what's going on with you because i don't want to be coming off of a hiatus and end up having to go to the doctor two weeks from now <laughs> so he disclosed it i think as much as you, you believe as much as you can believe and that's all there is to it like it's always going to be a risk so um so yeah so i engaged in oral sex with him and um, i was delighted to do so because it's been so long to be at that level on a like carnal level no pun intended, but there also there was just, there is this little bit of um, commonality. I don't want to go as far as to call it like a trauma bond. We just definitely have some similarities. We're both um, at this point in life, just emotionally needy. We're, we're lacking support in the emotional department. And um, we can do that for one another without there being a major commitment. We're not having sex. Like I still, to this day, like even though he's, said, listen, I'll go to the doctor with you and we can ask the questions that we need to ask or that I want to ask, meaning him, to the doctor. Um, uh, we still, like, we fucking, we hang out every so often. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we chat, we check in on each other. Sometimes we cuddle and just, like, we express to one another caring for the individual this is a big step for me and many people will probably think like what the hell is going on there like this is really wrong but i think we've been conditioned to believe that you cannot express loving somebody unconditional or as a human being because it's just not right you can only express romantic love and i just i've, I've never been that way and I, that just comes from years of not being told you know hey we love you Again, we always kind of it always reflects our, our upbringing. I think, at least from my from my experience, so we we share that commonality and we're able to to be there for one another at this point. So I'm very glad to say that he has been very receptive and very open and very risk taking because it is a it is it is a risk, you know. Um, and I and I don't feel I don't feel disgusting. Um, yeah. And and I'm gonna say that wholeheartedly I have felt disgusting for quite some time and there seems to be 
from my experience that a lot of the feelings that we think we have about our herpes diagnosis, about what we think others are going to think about us for having herpes really revolves around sex. It's how we think people are going to think of us in our sex lives and how cast into the shadows that typically is for many people. Um, when we have herpes, it's like we now have to bring that out. Before, you can only, you're only bringing up sex, bringing sex into sex, right? It's happening. Right. That's where it is. But now there's a little bit of a prerequisite that didn't always exist, which is now we have to talk about herpes, which will give a person outside of context of mutual sex with one another. Oh, outside of what we were going to do, you're probably gross or you are engaging in these things. And they kind of like just picture worst case scenario, the kind of sex that you would have or have had. And so my question for you is we, we can hear through how you spoke about sex before your diagnosis and then your most recent experience being more intimate, more healthy, more communicative, right? So I want to ask you here if there's something that changed your relationship to sex. Yeah, the answer to your, immediately your, the answer to your question is yes, but I believe that it doesn't pertain 100% to herpes. I think it just has to do with my self-healing journey um, and, and uh, therapy and acknowledging acknowledging the things that needed to be acknowledged from childhood. Um, and not just childhood, young adulthood and into late adulthood all the way up until about 27 because it's, it's a very long and convoluted story. Um, but I say all that um, just to give you an idea, like it, it wasn't just the herpes that made me think um, differently. It wasn't just the healing aspect of that part of the journey. It's been a culmination of it all, right? I eventually came to see herpes as, or, or eventually I've come to see herpes as a reminder of what is it that I'm not focusing on? What is it that I still need to work on? Because now I chose, it took a long time, it's been since 2014, I chose, I will also say I've evolved to the point to being able to choose um, to look at herpes, not necessarily as a friend, but as, uh, as, as, uh, I, I call it a game. As, as an ally. Yeah. Ally or for your healing. Friendly adversary. Friendly adversary. Yeah. Like, what is it you're going to, like, we're going to make peace with one another. Like, I really wish you weren't here, but if I got to deal with you, then let's work with this somehow. It's kind of like, and so like Coke versus Pepsi, right? Like it's competition, but everyone wins and thrives from the competition. Right. So for me, it's like, all right, am I not eating right? Did I have too much of coffee? Cause I, listen, I indulge in like, I love coffee and coffee, too much coffee fucks up, fucks with me as far as my anxiety goes. Doesn't really work well with the antidepressants. Like all of these things that don't happen to other people, they happen to me and, and I can only live my experience. So I know that when I'm taking an upper, which is coffee at four cups of coffee a day to, my antidepressant, which is a downer, <laughs> then I'm completely out of whack. So I, I use herpes. I, I work with herpes now. It's 
tandem to say, all right, where is my where where is my diet right now? What am I overindulging in? Am I having too did I have too many almonds? Because again, there are dietary things, um, in particular amino acids, um, L arginine, arginine, you can't have too much of because it it, it exacerbates uh, the the manifestation of the outbreaks. So I where are my emotions? What am I what am I over like what am I just overindulging in? What are the you know, all the psychological things like the rumination X, Y, Z. So it, it helps me to check in with myself as opposed to just wishing it was out of my body because none of that's going to happen. It's not, you're not going to will grass to levitate or you might even have an easier time of getting that done than, you know, getting this shit to go away like that. Um, but, uh, so I've gotten to a point through my therapy that it's allowed for me to look at approach sex differently as well as myself as a, as a human being. And I guess that if I look at myself differently, I can look at sex differently. Thank you. Thank you. There's there's a, there's a lot in between that, right? Like, and I I think I shared this with you and and I'm going to share this. I'm going to be very candid with everybody. You know, I chose to not engage in sex, but I became overindulgent in webcamming and masturbation groups. Um, There, I deal with anxiety, depression, and that plays a big role, but you know, the, the, the herpes for a long time, contributed to that or how I dealt with my herpes. So overindulging, um, by trying to, at first it was like, yeah, I'm just going to drip off of, you know, some people on camera. And then it became me looking for approval, kind of like when you cruise and you, you know, you do, you go to the bars or whatever it is, you're, you're, you're on the hunt. Same thing. It was just easier to be like, Hey, I'm just going to close this and turn it off. But There'd be days, you know, be a month of not doing anything, and then there'd be days where it'd be like three, four, five hours of just looking for the right connection. Because I was, at the very end of it all, looking to go one-on-one with somebody away from the multicams to a personal cam. And I had to be honest with myself when I realized what I was doing. Because I did have that moment of like, Kev, what is it you're doing right now? Because this is just substituting what you're not, quote-unquote, wanting to do, what you're secluding yourself in what you're ostracizing yourself on. This is all it's doing is that. And so when that, when I had that realization, you know, I brought that up to my therapist and things have started to change as a result of that as well. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. So it's, you were in, you, you kind of threw yourself in a place where you could cast a wide net, but ultimately you were beginning to long for just that one-on-one intimacy connection with the person. Was that desire there pre-diagnosis when you were out here in these streets or what? Um, yeah, looking back at it now, absolutely. I don't know that I would have ever admitted that to myself back then. But now, yeah, I think I'm going to speak generally, you know, blanket statements. Um, we, those of us who come from this, the LGBT, XYZ, LMNOP community, and I'm not trying to be, I just, I don't know where it stands anymore. I'm always being corrected, so I just want to make sure I'm inclusive of everyone. Ah, uh, dude, there's um, such a difference between people who like are allies and people who live this shit. Like, there, there's it's such a difference. So yeah, go, yeah, go yeah, yeah. So, and, and even inside of it, right, it's very divided. But the, one of the things that we all have in common and that I think is applicable with a, with a generalized statement is that there is, I don't think any one of us has gotten through being who we are as LGBT XYZ without experiencing a sense of shame. And so, um, I lost my train of thought on that. I apologize. No, but, okay. uh, um, shame is a big component, um, for, for all, 
okay, shame is a big component. And so, you know, I think a lot of us go out there seeking some kind of validation, seeking some kind of approval, seeking some kind of reciprocity of, of affection. You know, so we go out, we, we give of ourselves at the clubs, uh, wherever it is that we're going out and, and hooking up. That's not to say you don't have people who just love to do it. I, I have my moments. But at the end of the day, looking back, I realized that what I was looking for was validation. I was looking for reciprocity. I was looking, I was looking to be nurtured. Um, I was looking for those things that I was not offered in, in my youth. So that sounds a lot like identity validation. Um, what I find for myself, being someone who is an ally um, and having friends within the queer community, I find myself in a lot of queer spaces. And what I consistently see is that this space offers assurance and like this environment that you are among allies. You're among people who have gone through and experienced that shame. I don't know too many people who were supported in not being uh, themselves and attracted to who they were attracted to. Like even people who are a part of the community now as grown adults still struggle with internalized uh, various types of phobias as well as just heteronormative culture and wants, desires, and default responses to things. So there's all of that that plays a role into it. But when I think about identity validation in the sense of uh, like with people who have herpes, people come here and they have their identities validated as being people aside from their herpes diagnosis. So I kind of see that as well with the LGBT community and how I think you were trying to express this was, you know, it's not it's not okay uh, universally to not be a man who likes men. Wait, hold on, I said that wrong. It's not okay to be a man who likes men. It's not, it is okay to be a woman who likes women as long as there's a man involved, right? So we have, these, we have these stereotypes. And one thing I like that you said was you brought to attention just how divided it can be within the LGBT community and how you haven't said you identify as or you are uh, any of the labels that are associated with it you have just shared your experience and I caught myself like wanting to ask and be like, well, are you gay? Are you pansexual? Are you bisexual? Like to give the audience a label, but you've given enough to just share like, this is who you are and this is who you're attracted to. So we don't need that label. We don't need the labeling because it's unnecessary here. You've given the descriptors and I hope that at this point of, 250 podcast episodes numerically uh, that people are able to receive that and understand like the people who more so don't identify with labels I don't want to say are necessarily like more woke or more elevated or anything like that but we definitely um, there's more of a connected with just existing in the space than there is making sure that other people know that you're existing in the space. Damn, well, I gotta write that down. Hold on. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm gonna write that down. That might be the podcast title. No, I, I appreciate that. And um, you know, even just before this, I, I was speaking to a friend of mine um, from back home who is one hundred percent gay and he asked, you know, did you ever come out as anything? 
um, like I tried forcing myself to be gay. I tried forcing myself to be this. I'm like, at the end of the day, no, I never fully came out as anything. I said, even as an adult, when I claim, when I claim bisexuality or pansexuality, and I was like, I, I still get questioned. Are you sure? Why? How could you? And, and it's like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, yeah, I prefer men. I always have. But I also don't have an issue sexually connecting with a female to male trans, a male to female trans, or with women. I don't have a problem with it. Like, I, I, it doesn't make me throw up. <laughs> like, let's do this. If I'm feeling you, I am feeling you. End of story. Like, my mouth is going to go exactly where it wants to go, and I'm going to treat – they're all going to be treated the same. Where the intensity of emotional connections lies, that may be what determines, I don't know, who I'm going to engage into a more personal relationship with. But again, I'll say I prefer men, but I have never – I've never not been attracted to women. I've never not been attracted to a human being. I not been attracted to people and then the emotional connection clicks and I'm like, Oh shit, where, uh Oh, uh Oh, fuck. What does this do? Um, so for me, I don't care to label myself because I just don't care to continuously be having to feel like I need to, um, uh, defend my dissertation my, my defend my dissertation you know like this isn't what i'm looking to do I'm not, I'm not presenting this to the board and i'm not i'm not looking to defend this like this is my fucking experience and if i want a tit in my mouth and a dick in my ear then that's what i'm going to go for bro like nobody like no one pays my bills man and you know i pay my bills and i make myself happy at that level so so this speaks to a podcast guest i had early on maybe the episodes in the 70s or 80s but what he said to me was, and this was someone he, I heard this for the first time. It's a black man who's like, I'm heteroqueer. I'm queer in my politics, heterosexual. He said, you have to, his name's David Wraith. He said, I have to obey the politics of what makes my dick hard. And that's, that's what, it, that's essentially summing it up. I mean, I agree with him. At the end of the day, for me, it gets a little bit more than that, you know? Like, again, for me, there's... I'm a little bit more of a sensitive guy, so, like, the emotional is going to... You know, that part plays into it for me. And so, I, I know what gets my dick hard. It's usually guys. But sometimes I find myself watching full-on lesbian sex, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't get enough of it. You know? And what is going through my... Because I told somebody this. is like, what is going through my head and me wanting to be in between them? It's not like I'm looking at them and I'm wishing for... I'm using it as a... As a, as a pre-game and then I go into it like I just I honor myself I'm true to myself I that's just all that's what I've learned if I've learned anything in this lifetime is to do my best to be honest with myself yeah that's it and I I don't always I'm not always successful at the time but I've gotten better about it it's just I have to check in with myself and just be like where are you where are you and are you being honest with yourself wow Thank you. That's beautiful. So what I got out of that, like I got a bunch of different titles I wrote down that came and I wanted to make sure to get them down. But you're speaking to existing honestly. And the most standout thing from this podcast episode, I mean, for me, has just been like that. As I listen to this, it's really about you remaining true to who you are. You haven't had to label anything for other people. You know, you speak to 
the sexual encounters that you had and it wasn't oh this person's this this person's that it was it was just yeah this guy this person this gentleman you spoke to them by identifiers that weren't necessarily physical so it really speaks volume to so much of the non-physical stuff that people who are unattached to labels um exist in they exist in this there's the out the validation of identities through this and there's also just like there's a freedom there it feels liberating to hear you speak to uh, in the way that you do about just existing as you are you're not explaining your existence there it is <laughs> listen i want to tell you that i think one of the well, not, i think uh, one of the best things that i feel that's come out of the podcast at least for me anyhow is um all of the the, the posts that you put on the on on instagram concerning how do you approach this subject matter when, when you know going on a date or what have you like all of these ideas and then you, you give up you give up um not a stencil that's not the word template you give a template of how to approach it like how to present yourself that is that, that is invaluable because i could overdo it i could get really emotional about it you know da, 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 da. but the template that you provided is just very clear concise to the point without, for me anyhow, I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel that that template allows for me to compromise integrity. It's like, this is just where we are. This is what I'm presenting. Are we game? Are we not? Don't allow yourself to get emotionally caught up in the response because it's got nothing to do with you. Yeah. And that's, I'm, I'm appreciative of you sharing that because I think what these templates offer is the opportunity to be present. Because so often we want to explain ourselves, over-explain. We want to accommodate for any question the other person may have that they might not even think I'm about. I'm guilty of that. All projected from our own insecurities about the situation. When we get to a place where we can just you know, give enough information and let it be a dialogue. Because social media is training us to consume or produce. I want to consume information or I'm going to produce information. And there's not really opportunities for us to co-create in that space and have dialogue. So we're not trained on having the dialogue. For me, like I talk to so many people with herpes and I bring my curiosity to it. It's a dialogue and people that's foreign to people. Like I'm, I'm seeing it. People are not very well equipped to have conversations with people about vulnerable things, especially Absolutely. on the internet. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for cutting off, and, I, and I, this is something that I truly want to bring up. Um, because when I was getting, when I was getting, when I got swabbed, and we were talking about it, um, you know, for the first time with uh, with a nurse practitioner at the joint, um, the 20 minute bell went off, and I'm like, well, "What's that?" She says, "Oh, that's your HIV test." Hadn't even thought about HIV. Had not even thought about it. And I remember just having this sinking feeling in my gut. I'm like, are you kidding me? Man? Like, I got to deal with this too as a possibility? And, you know, she expressed to me, she's like, oftentimes with herpes comes HIV infections. And I thought, fuck, this is bananas. Now, I say that to say, in this whole time frame, you know, these last however many years, 14, 2014 to present, I've encountered people who, after I've disclosed that I've got herpes, 
since you are, and I quote, since you're being honest, um, I'm HIV positive, but you know, I, I forgot the terms that they use. Undetectable. But, uh, you know, undetectable. I'm like, were you not planning on telling me that ever? <sighs> ever? I've wondered. I've wondered because we have the ability to like suppress HIV to the point of being undetectable where you won't, you can't pass it on. I've wondered if disclosure has just gone down or just stopped completely. I, I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody in my experience, the many people that I've encountered and I'd ask them after the fact, like, have you disclosed it? No, I don't need to disclose it. I'm undetectable. Again, this doesn't, account for everyone it's just people that i've encountered this falls you know this also goes with other stis syphilis there's this great belief that syphilis is cured no the people that i know that have got syphilis have got to on a regular basis get blood count done so that means it's not cured bro you have that shit and now you have to you have to live with it you know there's i'm not i'm not judging anyone i'm just saying there's a lot of beliefs there's these mythical beliefs that I don't have to disclose it unless I'm asked. I don't have to disclose it unless I feel comfortable. There's a level of truth to that. Like you don't have to bring it up at the church fucking meeting. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's like, if you're putting yourself in a vulnerable situation like that, don't you think that the other person should have the right to at least say, I don't know. These are the waters I want to tread. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for that insight. Uh, Thank you for being vulnerable here. Thank you for, I, I could kind of tell your mannerisms changed a little bit. Your posture shifted a little bit. That first like 10 minutes, you were just kind of like, oh, what I want to say. You wanted to make the story like flow. But yeah, we just had a conversation. That's all this has been. Um, we've got a few minutes left uh, before the recording needs to end. So I just want to ask you, like, do you have anything that you'd like to share for someone? Um, again, this being a space of identity validation, if there are any intersections of your identity that you would like to speak to from your perspective, your experience, um, and just offer that to someone who may find this episode and see themselves in you, like, what would you share? Is there anything in particular that you're referring to? Mm. I hate to ask. I feel like I need some clarity on that. Yeah. So I guess we're just like having worked on yourself, having taken a break from sex and making that choice of I'm either going to not do anything or I'm going to um, only make these spaces with how you've changed the way that you do relationships with just existing and accepting yourself and who you are. Uh, but yeah, it's not never a herpes related <laughs> question exclusively, but just more so the type of person that you've demonstrated yourself to be here is a sense of self-certainty. So you've established this sense of self-certainty, who you are. So like, I would like to, from your experience and in your own words, offer some words from someone who is certain about themselves for someone who is a little bit lost here. Sure, sure, sure. Listen, it's been a it's been a, a long and arduous journey, you know. Along with herpes, herpes isn't hasn't been the only issue that I've had to deal with psychoemotionally. So it was in tandem with everything else. Um, and so along this along this experience, I, I I've gone in and out of therapy, different types of therapeutic modalities, from just talk therapy to the my most present, which is um, CBT. 
I've done life coaching. You know, I've just, I've sought out support. Um, And I I will speak for those of us that, uh, or I'll direct this to those of us that tend to overthink and (laughs) are stuck in our heads that are anxiously prone, you know, like thinking about the future, like what's this going to mean kind of a thing, you know, um, and and you're having to deal with herpes. Seek support. Do the best that you can. Um, be honest with yourself. Fuck everybody else. Fuck what people think because people are going to put you down. People are going to make say some nasty things about you. It's, it's possible. It was my experience. I speak from my experience only. Um, it's not easy. It wasn't for me. But again, I think I was a little bit of... I seem to have been... I was led to believe that my scenario was very, very off the books in the sense of it wasn't common. Most people don't have as many outbreaks as I do. You know, not everybody get, you know has the experiences that I have. So, you know, I can't speak for other people who have had herpes or who have it now, but I can speak for those for, for people who are similar to me that maybe they have more outbreaks than not. That maybe they do ruminate thoughts. Maybe they have self-deprecating thoughts seek out support you know ostracizing yourself from society is not going to resolve your issue and that, that comes from my own personal experience your vices the, the the your vices will come through will shine through in some way they will present themselves your um unexpressed emotions your unexpressed desires will present themselves in some way so you know do the best to be as honest with yourself as possible and if that means going to therapy, seeking out therapy, um, then do so. It's there. The help is there. I was very low on funds at some point, but I, I made it a point. Like, what am I going to spend? Because at one point I was able to get therapy for $50. What am I going to spend this $50 on? Am I going to go get a new, you know, new T-shirt? Or am I going to do what, you know, whatever the scenario is. Just try to be, try to be there for yourself. No self-sabotage. You know, just get the help that is necessary the support that is necessary so that you can, so that you can do your best at, um, at flourishing as an individual who's having to deal with, with herpes. What a smooth transition, because if you do need therapy, that is one of the services that something positive for positive people provide. So reach out and we can figure out how we can find you a sex positive therapist who may have experience with working with someone who has herpes, even though that may not be the core of what it is that you'll be working on it's just something about that comfort level that i find with the clients that we've had in the past um in order to get to that place so uh kevin i want to thank you so much for your time thanks for your closing out words of wisdom um i i just appreciate you thank you so much for reaching out yeah absolutely no problem thank you for the platform that you provided um for for everyone and um, i look forward to talking to you all right That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to this podcast, and also support the nonprofit. Please donate. I've mentioned in the episode right before this a lot of what it is that I do. Like This is a full-time job in itself, a full-time set of jobs, and I have a very clear vision on what the future of this organization is going to look like. And all I need at this point is just support, whether that be financially, whether that be sharing the content, working together, interviews, 
all of those kinds of things. You can follow me on Instagram or uh, TikTok at Courtney Brame underscore Courtney Brame underscore. Till next time. Till next time. Stay sex positive.